Hello and welcome to episode 43 of I Am The Night, the weekly show where we look back at Batman the Animated Series. This week we're looking at episode 48, What Is Reality? Written by Matty Eisenberg with Robert Menskier and directed by Dick Sebast. With me, as always, is my partner in crime, the indubitably excellent Adam Ray. Hello, always a pleasure to be talking about something truly cosmic, truly mind-warping from the mind-warper oh, yes. of Batman's Rose Gallery in a science fiction that's become science fact episode, if we're looking at this <sighs> way. Wrong. If we're looking at this with a 25-year-old mm. sort of lens and projection back to the harmless 90s. But yeah, this one was a fascinating one and I was very happy to give this one another visit. Mate, um, you are so right. 28 years ago, this episode came out, and it was not just years, but decades ahead of its time. Um, VR, wireless modems, um, people interacting in a virtual world a full seven years before the movie The Matrix came out. Wow. This is unreal. What, what did you make of all that? It's a really accurate sort of vision into modern media culture and more modern interaction with yeah. technology and modern virtual and augmented reality stuff it was uh, obviously there was a lot of artistic licenses they had yes. to give for something in the 90s so bless them it was a computer the size of a veritable <laughs> yes. shed and those stuff like the VR headset can literally fit in your pocket until you slot it onto the goggle things which I've sadly never actually tried for really myself. Cool. But, I've, cool. but I've seen played with a lot and always been pretty interesting. Um, the technology and the premises behind it seem pretty much the same. That kind of level of computing and wireless technologies definitely matches up to what's going on right now. So it's very prophetic and a little bit scary by that regard. Really scary. I mean, I do totally get what you're saying with the size of the computer the Riddler delivers to trap Commissioner Gordon and by doing so trap Batman and Robin but let's think that the processing power back then to achieve something like that probably would have been even bigger than that um, yeah. they could not have foreseen mobile technology and liquid crystal displays and everything else that goes with it that we have today but as you said what they did imagine was scarily accurate. Yep. I think the only clear difference in terms of how the technology would work is that they didn't really get the whole overhead visor thing. They mm. thought it would just go into, into the your mind, mind yeah. like via synapses and stuff. But anyone who doesn't know anything about neurology knows that unless you've got like fairly big electrodes, you can't communicate with the brain in that detail that way without drilling holes in your head, mm -hmm. which I don't think anyone really wants to do. But then again, this is also a show about someone drinking a serum and turning into a giant bat mutant. <laughs> so we can forgive the science fiction technology. It's all fine. And in its defense, because I will defend this show till the end of time, there was a lot of electrical jiggery-pokery going around those helmets that was electrocuting both the commissioner and Robin when they tried to interfere with them. So I'll say that uh, Riddler was ahead of his time in terms of electrical manipulation of the mind. Yes, uh, which made me think of um, another slice of important Batman media, which I'm sure has crossed your mind, but we'll come back to it eventually, I'm sure. Uh, what would you like to discuss first? Well, the obvious. This is vintage. It's Batman and Robin... Versus the Riddler. Yeah. This makes me happy. Yeah. You can see the sort of look of Batman and Robin against the Riddler and some sort of giant contraption of death, that, uh, especially when you couple it with the Riddler's character design and look carrying over from his last appearance. 
we can sort of feel that this is almost a slice of golden age vintage comics. This is a very oh, yeah. classic sort of style playing around with modern-ish technology. So it's a great blending of different Batman storytelling ideas. Absolutely. And I love the way you said the golden age because honestly, this episode really cleverly taps into the golden and silver age, particularly the silver age nonsense side of things. We mentioned before the giant keyboards and the huge props, but rather than doing it as giant keyboards and huge props, it's giant interactive sets in a virtual landscape and that like taps the silliness of the silver age but in a brand new and actually quite scary way it's the most realistic way you could ever get something of that kind of landscape mm-hmm. i think the, the super villains that have the real capital behind them are your jokers and your penguins who can yes. build those um mazes of death out of strange props i never imagined riddler to be able to have that kind of financial situation behind him so it's the, this is the logical step that would let us believe that he would have this endless corridor that leads off to giant question mark cannons or trains mm. or a chessboard with killer chess pieces it's the most logical way that they could get that character to do that sort of thing and it's the most satisfying because it still plays with the mind and the illusion yes. this is a very fun storytelling trope and of course his riddles are there from the start I mean that's how we knew very early into the episode because I don't have a, a great recollection of this one this one's still fairly fresh to me I don't know if I've seen this one a lot or possibly more than once um, the fact that he drops his riddles and Batman and Alfred or Batman and Robin solve them and again one of the aspects I love is real detective work yep he, Batman has the foresight to be able to gather all of the riddles that where they've been sighted across the town across multiple days and nights and arrange them in order just to see how they're all connected by like mentioning animals or mentioning numbers why the numbers are so significant what happens if you look at the numbers a different way so that you can find where the riddler's next target is before he's even put any of that plan in motion because he broadcast that as his last target but he also did that to draw Batman away so that his real target could be left vulnerable. Absolutely, absolutely. And we have to not just um, admire the Riddler's ingenuity, but like you said, um, where's he getting this money from? I think probably we have to look back to his first appearance, because remember, we've got to admit, this is like episode 48. This is only the second appearance of the Riddler. Let's remember that he probably made an absolute mint with that video game, because even Robin was playing it. Yeah. And the fact that he can control virtually any computer he can get his hands on means he's probably embezzled millions from either the computer game company that he worked for and or every other bank, like the poor guy at the beginning of the episode who went to the hole in the wall to get some cash out and thousands of dollars literally disappeared from his bank account. So Yeah, I can imagine him doing something akin to Mr. Robot by just like looking yeah. at lots of high-stakes bank accounts and then moving the decimal point one spot mm-hmm. and then just taking all of the difference. Yes, to make immense sums of money that's how he could afford to build a supercomputer like that or a supercomputer by 90s technology standards much like Russ Gorman aka Richard Pryor did in Superman 3 sure wow I like Superman 3 I get, get think he gets a hard rap it's a lot better than the one that followed it which let's not please yes let's not even go there but um, let's talk about again we've talked about how prophetic this episode was uh, in terms of technology but we already said that when Batman gets dragged into the virtual world as well, the whole thing of splitting up multiple Batman fight, fighting multiple Riddlers, it's very, very, very Matrix-esque. But 
I, I just can't believe it. it was years before I me. Mean, do you actually think that maybe the Matrix, a Warner Brothers movie, did steal a little bit from this or was I, inspired by it? I think it's definitely got a lot of ideas that are so like visually evocative yeah. that it sort of translated well to other media. Because personally speaking, I'd say a different visual sort of look that came from this episode inspired a very different piece of media. For example, having your hero fight fairly menacing chess pieces and then oh. becoming a knight himself Absolutely. would go on to be the climax at the end of the first Harry Potter story. Exactly, and I've even got it here in my notes. Wizard's chess years before. before Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, so whether it was intentional or not, there are enough strong visuals in this episode that could have inspired... So other stories across not necessarily Warner Brothers but all sorts of storytelling and that's why I think it's quite so powerful and be very interested to see how far this tracks across Matrix, Harry Potter, what have you. Well, we know for a fact that the uh, the oh god, what's their names? The Wachowski brothers? Yeah. Now the Wachowski sisters. Um, really are nerds like we are. They're, they're mm. huge fans of everything sci-fi and, and whatsoever. So, and everything else attached to com- comics fans too. So it's not a huge stretch of the imagination that they might have might have seen this. But even if they didn't, um, this episode, like I said, it's very surprising in terms of the way it delivers action, the way it educates in terms of the detective work, Chinese puzzle boxes, computer technology, virtual reality, Robin's really vibrant youthful intelligence Mm. and the way again batman's whole attitude and character changes whenever there's a robin episode it's brilliant it's really interesting to see how he interacts with robin actually i'd say it's um a way for him to sort of ease his sort of aggression but Mm. not in the aggression in the sense of like him being destructive his aggression is in his further to progress the mystery and try yeah. to find the solution he Absolutely. can defer a lot of his um to, to use a computer term ram his like thinking mm, power yeah, yeah. onto robin so that he can have an extra pair of hands an extra mind there to solve some of his puzzles which is something he would usually sort of defer to alfred when he's in the cave Absolutely. which we also see quite nicely in this episode but that's just another example of batman looking at this sort of figure of the night this like solitary protector but he's never really been that he's Mm. always been particularly good at deferring and taking assistance from the people that are around him the people that he trusts and the people he respects this is just another piece of that and it's really rewarding to see that we can see that consistently because in episodes when he's not there it's nice that he's like off doing something Mm. and he's not necessarily missed but it's not that him being in these episodes sort of like adds anything extra or takes anything away. It's just a different side and dynamic to Batman, which just makes the show all that more unique and all the more vibrant because it gets the chance to change its dynamics that regularly. Absolutely. Well said, mate. Well said. Um, Because obviously I grew up with Adam West's show where it was Batman and Robin week in and week out. So when Batman 89 came out and then Batman Returns and then this series... A lot of fans, myself included at the beginning, were thinking, well, where is Robin? But we have to remember that for the first period of Batman's creation, in 1939 up to 1940, for about a year, it was just Batman. So what makes this series really special to me is that 
it's almost constantly Batman, but then when Robin does make an appearance, it makes it that much more special. It's it's brilliant. Very much so. We get the chance to see Batman thinking around problems with a little bit of assistance yeah. and with also the added benefit of, from a storyteller's perspective, of there being another element that Batman has to juggle to make sure that everyone stays safe at the end. Because sometimes yes. Robin does get himself into a bit of trouble. I'm thinking back to his central episode, The Robin's Reckoning, where he was sort of on the emotional waver. But sure enough, we get that sort of sense that Batman can think around the problems in a different way with a little bit of assistance so that we don't lose anything from the episodes where there is no Robin. We just get a different feel yes, of episodes absolutely. while he's here. Yeah. And having those sparing appearances makes the ones we get that much more special. Absolutely. But I do um, love what you said that we see Batman bounce off and um, use his friends and family's intellect to enhance his own and sometimes having a foil something having a sounding board is really important and you, you quite rightly said we get it with both robin and with alfred in this episode where alfred is bouncing off bruce but in the end he's literally just and it's brilliantly done because it's just a voice and a little facial expression by an animator but you can feel alfred's pride when batman solves things and gets it and, and alfred's just like yeah yeah like, like that's my boy moment yeah it's also a combination of um pleasant surprise as well because he's because he sounded in um uh, Zemblis Jr.'s performance he sounded as though he's like a, oh Roman numerals and oh so it's dmv yeah. so he was solving it with him and getting those realizations because yes. those were things where Sure, those riddles were simple, but those were things that he knew off the top of his head. When Batman surpassed him and yes. thought in ways that Alfred didn't, he was genuinely impressed and was like, to use a very British term, well chuffed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I frequently feel that way about you when I read some of your pieces or see some of your work or or see some of your achievements. So I can totally uh, sympathise with Alfred in that respect. It's like when... Because he's clearly been... Batman's real source of education and support from the moment the Waynes passed. Mm. So he is, I'm sorry, in all intents and purposes, he is the man who raised Bruce. He is more Bruce's father than Thomas ever was. Yeah, as uh, unfortunate and unfair as that may sound, it is still true because he was there to physically raise him. Yeah. Um, Thomas will always have that uh, part and part in Bruce's soul and Bruce's mm -hmm. heart and stuff. But when you have that figure there beside you that's who raised you absolutely yeah absolutely i've got to talk as well about the two goons the two poor hapless goons who are out to destroy riddler's physical records after he's wiped every computer now i don't quite get riddler's motivations about wiping himself off every system when the police know him just for dealing with him. They can write those records again. And so does Batman. What do you think his endgame is there? Maybe to reinvent himself for something different? Potentially. I also feel like keeping yourself as a data ghost mm -hmm. does give you a greater level of uh, acumen and credibility within certain criminal circles. Mm. And it also does still make you harder to track because once you're completely gone, you could, like, but take a few um, sums of money here yeah. or some bits Absolutely. of capital there so that it's next to impossible to trace. And even if they did, they, there's no way of telling if it's him or this or this hacker or this terracel or whoever. Mm -hmm. So it does bring back a level of anonymity where it's he's um, bamboozling 
the other law, law enforcement agencies by making it so unclear whether or not it is actually him. Good call. He literally has to physically get caught before they can pin anything on him. Exactly. That's very cool. And that does quite cleverly make him even more of Budumbumsh an enigma. Yep. Which is, I think, is all, he's, all he would really want. Yeah. And if that's the way he can achieve it and still look intelligent by doing it, that's why he does it. And that's why he makes the effort for going for the most senior police officer in Gotham. Yes. Because even with the physical copies gone, with all of those data banks cleared, all of that information should still be in a good commissioner's head, which it would be because Jim Gordon's predecessor was not exactly a good police. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I do have to say that this iteration of Riddler is vastly different to any we've seen before or since, but it really does work for the character. Yeah. But the brilliant thing is that even though, like I said, it's vastly different, the essence of the character that he thinks he's smarter than everyone else and he gets pride and joy by trying to bamboozle everybody else is 100% vintage Riddler. It's really clever. I sort of take pride and like I really respect the creative team that sort of designed the uh, MOs and yeah. ideologies of the characters and especially the villains in the series for this because they've sort of done similar sort of visions around the Penguin who's particularly obsessed with birds mm. but also has the look and the manners of someone from Hasai and uh, your Selina Kyle who's mm. still the daring cat burglar the Absolutely. master thief the greatest thief in DC Comics but is still the um, naturalist and someone who respects yeah. cats and wildlife they're visions that aren't you're not necessarily going to assume of the character but mm. they're still ones that totally make sense when you think about it exactly. so yeah this thriller being the technological genius is something we'd sort of dabble in and I think the best version of that is still going to probably be the Riddler from the Arkham games mm -hmm. because they really max up this technological computer genius mm -hmm. sort of side of things but we still get him trying to befuddle and confuse at every turn which is that I think is a true essence of the Riddler, and I think they captured it perfectly here. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, some of the arguments I get from the very, 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 very few people who don't love Batman the Animated Series, and yes, there are two or three out there, is that they don't like, um, how should we put it, the way it takes certain liberties with the source material. But personally, I think that the way they update some of these characters while still keeping their cause true it's better, and we mentioned it in the Harvey Dent episode where he becomes Two-Face. That way, an explosion on one side of his body makes far more sense for his scarring and the fact that it's not just his face, it's his hands, it's his body, than the explanations we ever got in the comics. Yep, just um, an acid splash while he was in court mm. holding up some legal documents to yep. protect his face, which is why there's a perfect line there. Mm -hmm. Which is also why I quite like the prosthetics and the effects that they did for Aaron Eckhart in oh, absolutely. Night. because even though it was a half of his face it yeah. wasn't a straight line absolutely. there was like little bumps and ridges to it yeah. and because he was lying one side of his face down in, yep. in a combustible substance absolutely but I still think that yes I'm a comic book nerd and I would like a lot of comic book media to be more true to the source material but 99% of the changes I see particularly in this series just make sense to me they really do. They put new spins on characters whilst still somehow keeping them familiar, which is Absolutely. something that can only really be done by a creative team that knows these characters, that love these characters, yeah. 
want to tell stories with these characters in a way that still matches up but is still new and that's the important bit you, you hit the nail on the head not just know them but love them yeah. absolutely right on that topic what did you like love or loathe about what is reality so i particularly like the things we talked about earlier where it very clearly either intentionally or not inspired some stories that i really really oh, love yeah. in terms of the matrix and harry potter but one that i will hold quite proudly as a guilty pleasure and so will you i have to ask when did this episode come out in relation to batman forever um oh years before I still think that a lot of the inspiration for what, which, what, with what went on to inspire Jim Carrey's oh, absolutely came from this in terms of the mind control and completely like high end tech, and especially with regards to the way that this episode ended, with his brain basically being turned to mush and him being mm-hmm. somewhat of a zombie to his yeah. own technology. We get Jim Carrey sort of oh yeah being overloaded by his own technology and his own knowledge to that similar sort of effect totally this series was made literally um, it, well, it started production roughly the same time that Batman Returns was being made and yep. you can see that because of Penguin Blonde Catwoman whatever else so years hmm. before Batman Forever but they were always kind of sort of meant to be in the same universe which kind of sort of makes sense but kind of sort of doesn't because even though this Joker is a bit pudgier, a bit more Nicholson-esque in terms of physical appearance. He's not the string bean we know and love from the comics. Um, even though Penguin has got the chubby digits and the flippers and whatever else, and even though Catwoman's blonde, we have to remember that, for all intents and purposes, it seems like Joker dies at the end of Batman 89 and Penguin dies at the end of Batman Returns. So, slightly skewed, but yeah. inspired by... So, it's not a rough... Uh, it's not a million mile question to think that Batman Forever is a follow on from this series it it could work it's certainly possible I think that um, they pay respect to each other as pieces of Batman media but and they take sort of similar physical uh, visual cues Mm -hmm. so they can draw certain viewers in but in my heart, I'm going to try and keep them separate because yes, we still keep, I agree with you. We still keep a lot of characters in one place and in very different states in the other place, so we can still get a nice bit of a division. But the visual sort of matching makes it feel like very yeah. of the '90s and the late '80s, totally. which is a nice sort of visual to sort of get around these characters. I, mean, I will always keep them separate because this, for me, is still far superior to any other Batman media, including any of the movies. But what I will say is that, um, let's remember as well, that while this Riddler clearly influenced, in my opinion, the Riddler from Batman Forever, the Two-Face is totally out of the comics in Batman Forever. Mm. And the um, whole thing about the way... Batman Forever is just the one with Robin, isn't it? Yeah, um, Robin's origin, it's Two-Face that ends up killing his parents. Zuko and the gangsters aren't even mentioned, so that's a complete invention of that that movie movie as well. So So again, certain adaptations will need to take certain little artistic licenses Mm -hmm. and sort of uh, fine-tuning tweaks with the original source material to tell their own story. There's no right or wrong way of doing it, per se, but as long as they tell a convincing enough story that's still true enough to the essences of the characters... It works. It works. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. The standout moment for me, and it literally made me want to punch the air, was the whole bit where 
Um, you're Batman, you're the Dark Knight, and he's literally a guy in a suit of armour on a flying horse. And I, I, I just, that was a, an image that will forever stay in my mind and in my heart. I thought that was classic. And as a fantasy man, that must have given you a bit of a smile and a giggle too. I like the idea of him as a Dark Knight on a Pegasus charge <laughs> riding across the stars. And I particularly liked um, seeing the stars there as the solution to the puzzle. Um, uh, Orion, the great hunter, shooting arrows and being chased by Taurus the bull. It's a lovely sort yeah. of visual media to just like really pull things in and make things seem more fantastical, especially in a show that's still grounded in somewhat science fiction. Totally. So we can really sort of play with the visuals there, which is a lot of fun. I really like that moment as well. Absolutely. Well, a Riddler episode is always going to be a treat, and anytime we see Batman and Robin, that's a treat too. So another cracking episode. Great, great fun, great, great entertainment. Right, so that wraps up another episode of I Am The Night 2. So, as always, Adam, let's let the world know where they can read your work and see what else you do out there. For Batman-flavoured things, you can read some of my reviews on Dark Knight News. The state of the titles that I currently review are sort of somewhat up in the air. Mm-hmm. As sad as I may be, I will cry every time. But I have every faith that in the new year, when the Backstreet Boys stop ruining everything... <laughs> there may be those creative teams taking on new titles in their place and I'll be very sure to be reviewing those but you can also find me on our pride and joy fantasticuniverses.com writing about my one true love tabletop gaming and PC gaming follow me on twitter at is it tinkerer to find me commenting on either queer issues or just me losing horrendously at PC games (laughs) Follow my antics losing said games on YouTube at The Hostile Atmosphere and find old replays of me playing Dungeons and Dragons on No Ordinary Heroes on YouTube. And Dungeons and Dragons related writing can be found at Apotheosis Studios. Marvellous. Well, me, you can find me on social media, mainly on Twitter. So do please talk to me, hit me up, ask me questions, or just say hello at Elstevo, E L underscore S T E E V O. For my written work, just search for Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universe's new search engine of choice. But you can catch this show along with the original DC Comics News podcast mad love the harley queen cast and the spinner rack on spotify stitcher apple podcasts aka itunes and google play you can find dc comics news and dark knight news on facebook twitter tumblr youtube and instagram so until next we meet dear friends here's adam the knight adam the knight adam ray he is the knight together we are the knight and this has been the i am the knight podcast thank you for listening and until next time read more comics do read them they're good for you